Well, Derby City Church, hello. What a strange way to meet your new pastor. But I have to say, I'm both excited and frustrated in equal measure at this time. I'm excited because it's such an honour to be your pastor going forward. Joining the list of, well, brilliant people that have, have led your church throughout the years. Many of them who I've known really well and others that I've learned a lot from when I was uh, in my younger days. I'm frustrated because, well, I would love nothing more than to sit down, meet you in person over a cup of tea and a chat. And uh, I'm really praying that those days are not far off because I've heard a lot about you and I've watched a lot of your live streams and especially the meet the family slot. And it's been great to sort of like get to know you uh, a little bit from that distance. Pastor Paul Hudson began the year talking about being a thankful church. It was a fantastic message, reflecting on what God has done and being thankful for that. And I do want to say my own thank yous uh, right now. I want to say thank you especially to, to Paul for the time and the care that he's devoted to, uh, to DCC since the passing of, of Pastor Dave. I'm so thankful that Paul approached me to consider the post. It's a great privilege to be joining with you and to be working with you and seeing so many people come to know Jesus and becoming strong disciples and followers of him. I'm thankful for the brilliant staff team here. They're a great team. And for the volunteers, including the elders, what a job they do. And what an amazing job that they have done over this past year. The ministry of church, children, youth, adults, community has continued to be excellent. I'm thankful for the hard-working worship team and technical team who have brought top quality live stream every week. It's strange how God works, doesn't it? But I was watching your live streams long before Paul approached me to consider coming. I'm thankful for Julia. She's been so welcoming to Lisa and myself. Nothing is too much trouble and we have total admiration for her. I'm looking forward to working with her. I'm thankful for Dave. You felt the loss of your pastor very keenly. He was a good pastor. He was a good man. He's left a good church and I know that he would be so proud to see how every one of you has pulled together in your grief, but also in the fight against this pandemic, caring and loving, supporting one another. He's left a great legacy and I'm thankful and I'm honoured to be, well, picking up the baton, as it were, that, that, that Dave has left. Dave has, well, Dave and I were good friends. We studied at Ealing Bible College together for two years when it was in Nantwich. I was in a year above him. And even back then, it was clear that Dave was going to be a good pastor. He had a constant stream of people going to him for advice. And he was wise in his words and gentle and yet weighty. And yet Dave wasn't sure that he was called to the ministry. He struggled with it. I can remember being in a small group of people in his room drinking coffee and uh, saying to him, Dave, look at you, you're a pastor now. Look at the queues of people seeking your counsel. Thankfully, Dave 
uh, they followed our advice. Our advice had an impression upon him and he eventually applied for the ministry. Dave left an impression on me personally. I'll never forget it. Occasionally, at Bible college, we would have a rugby match. It didn't happen too often because it, it never ended well. But when it did, you always wanted Dave on your team. He was pretty good at rugby. Not much got past Dave. And actually, with Dave in the scrum, well, you were unbeatable. As you can tell, I'm of a different build to Dave. And that was true back then as well. So my job was to be the scrum half who would receive the ball out of the back of the scrum and pass it along the line. Dave, well, he was the rock. He was the powerhouse at the back of the scrum, pushing it forward. And I would be just behind him, ready to collect the ball and pass. I'd usually end up on my belly, face down in the mud after the pass. And on one occasion, the ball came back through the scrum Dave pushed it back to me, I collected it, launched it along the line, landing face down in the mud as, as usual. But Dave stopped pushing at the back of the scrum. Dave stopped pushing, but our opponents didn't. And so our guys in the scrum were put into reverse pretty quickly. I was laid face down in the mud and Dave had no option but to reverse unknowingly over me with his studded boots on. I can feel it now. Dave left an impression upon me. I don't think I walked for a week. Dave has left his impression on us all and we're so thankful. And now we have to go forward in that thankfulness and lay a runway for the activity of the Spirit of God. R.T. Kendall in a few of his books teaches about the Holy Spirit and the picture of the dove and how the right environment that's acceptable for the dove needs to be made or, or the dove won't settle it. And in the same way, that's true of the Holy Spirit, he goes on to explain. We want, we want the Holy Spirit amongst us, don't we? And so together as a church going forward, we want to create the right environment for the Holy Spirit to work amongst us. And I, I know it's your heart. I know it's your desire to play your part in creating that environment for the Spirit. And it's certainly, I feel it's my duty as the pastor going forward to create that. I'd like us this morning to look at two verses in the New Testament and one short passage from the Old Testament. In the New Testament... Turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 3 and chapter 6. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3 and verse 19 of chapter 6. And I want to ask yourself some questions, just two, or maybe the person who's sat with you. Read those verses, ask yourself, what is the temple? Because that's what this, these verses are talking about. And the second question is, what does this temple look like? So what is the temple and what does this temple look like? And then I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read it. On August the 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, 
the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple. So the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in the luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider how things are going for you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You have food to eat, but not enough to fill you up. You have wine to drink, but not enough to satisfy your thirst. You have clothing to wear, but not enough to keep you warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider how things are going for you. Now, go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the term house of God refers to the place God's presence resides or resided. If you think back, Jacob awakening from his dream, naming the place Bethel, house of God in Genesis 28. Or Moses receiving the detailed instructions of the construction of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in Exodus 25. Again in 2 Samuel, David shares his revelation with Nathan the prophet when he realises that he is living in a house of cedar whilst the ark of God was in a tent of curtains, in David's words. That's in chapter 7 of Second Samuel. And then we read in First Chronicles 28 that David begins the plans for the temple. But we know it's Solomon who completes the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. So throughout the Old Testament, the house of God or the temple was the place people went in order to worship and meet with God. In the New Testament, there's a fundamental shift that takes place. A, a shift of awesome significance. A shift that if Christians are not careful, we undervalue its significance or we miss it altogether. It's a shift, well it's a shift identified brilliantly in the book of Acts by Stephen, one of the first deacons and possibly one of the first Christian martyrs. In Acts 7... The crowd are just about to stone Stephen. And Saul is looking on before he becomes Paul. And Stephen speaks up and addresses the crowd. And it's a, it's a long passage of the history of Israel. But in verse 44, where we pick up from, Stephen says this to the crowd. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into new territory. It stayed there until the time of King David. David found favour with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. 
but it was Solomon who actually built it. And then Stephen says this, which is really significant. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Stephen had realised that. Stephen had got it. And interestingly, we know that Saul was looking on. A short time later, this must have really resonated with the Apostle Paul. When he wrote the verses that I asked you to think about. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 and 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. You see, 1 Corinthians 3 16 says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Paul again says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So the New Testament declares the house or the temple to be the church. The collective group of believers and also the individual follower of Jesus. So the answer to my earlier questions, what is the temple? What does the temple look like? Well, the answer is threefold. You see, there's two types of temple. There's the, the collection of worshippers, us, the church, gathered together. But then there's also us as individuals. You, sat at home right now. I, here, making up this collection called the church, but responsible, responsible. Together, we make up this one community, following Jesus outworking our worship together but also on our own as well responsible for ourselves and how we are in ourselves responsible for each other caring for each other responsible for the name that we bear that name of the Lord Jesus Christ if this present time has taught us anything about the church and what it is it's taught us that we are the church. Not the buildings that our society knows as, as churches. And much as we miss the physical building and looking forward to gathering there again very soon, we, we are the church. And we gather because we are the church. And even when we can't gather, we are still the church because it's made up of you and I collectively. And whilst we can't gather in this New Testament, it's clear that you are the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And we're responsible for that. How we live. How we, how we manage our own selves. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times. But even in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel was looking forward to a time coming when the Holy Spirit would live in, as Joel puts it, all people of all nations in all generations. That's in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And when you think about it, 
That's us. We're all people. Derby City Church has got many nations in it. It's got generations. We're all responsible. God sees us. And God has put his Holy Spirit in every single one of us. You might have had the opportunity to go on holiday to Turkey. And if you haven't, I really recommend it. If you go there, make sure you visit the region that's called Cappadocia or Cappadocia. In Cappadocia, you'll be able to see where how the early Christians were persecuted, but where they lived. And like in the book of Hebrews, where it describes in chapter 11, verse 38, where it says, well, it says this, some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed by the sword. Some went about in the skins of sheep and goats, hungry and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. They wandered over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. I don't know about you, but I, I've imagined those times for those early Christ Christians. And I've always seen it in my mind as just a, a group of poor, terrorised people running from hole to cave to another hole, disguised in sheep and goat skin because their lives are in mortal danger. But when you visit the places in Turkey, like Hebrews is talking about, you visit places where the locals call, it, call them underground cities. They're huge, multi-storied, Systems of, of caves hewn out of the volcanic rock. Some of them have seven stories, seven levels, all serviced with light shafts and wells for drinking water, huge dining rooms with long benches carved out of the rock and big, huge tables where people could sit and eat, family areas, communal areas, even areas for their own livestock. The early Christians who were experiencing tremendous life-threatening persecution and hardship had found a way to continue in community. And not merely to survive, but to, to begin to thrive, supporting one another, enabling each other to live relatively well under the circumstances. The Holy Spirit was alive in them and they knew him. And they knew that he was with them and would equip them in this tough time. This is what the temple looked like in that time. A community of caring, supporting, providing for each other, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the same spirit today, folks. He's with us, Derby City Church. He's in us, friends. Let's carry on. Let's carry on building on what's gone before. Looking to the one who's gone ahead of us, worshipping Jesus as individuals and as a body of believers. Making sure that we're not just surviving, but finding ways in which we can thrive. Being mindful that it really matters about how we live our own personal lives because we're creating an environment for the Holy Spirit. It really matters how we care for one another because that's providing a Holy Spirit environment. It really matters 
how we are with our neighbours who don't yet know Jesus because it allows the Holy Spirit to open them up and to start thinking about him. So I want you to reflect right now. Think about what's the environment like for the Holy Spirit in me? How am I thinking about my fellow brothers and sisters in the church right now? Am I calling them? Am I caring for them? Am I creating an environment for them, not just to survive, but to begin to thrive? Am I thinking about my non-Christian neighbours? How do I help them? Folks, I'm glad to be joining you in this journey. Let's all not just survive, but find ways to thrive. God bless you.